Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Zebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Rap. I am Bela Zebraff. Thank you to Vin News for hosting the show. At The Definitive Rap, we unapologetically report the truth about whatever is going on. We sugarcoat nothing. And we present it in its raw form via our eclectic guests from all over the world. And the world is certainly in chaos now. Who is not talking about the atrocities committed by the Russian troops in Ukraine? In fact, even though it's been over a month since Russian troops withdrew from their positions around Kiev, bodies and mass graves keep turning up. The atrocities committed by the Russian forces is overwhelming. With us today from Paris is Claire Berlinski, editor of the Cosmopolitan Globalist. She is a Manhattan Institute scholar, City Journal contributing editor, a former senior fellow of the American Foreign Policy Council for Turkey, freelance investigative journalist, travel writer, biographer, and novelist who lived in Istanbul from 2003 to 2013 and then returned to Paris. Her journalism has been published internationally and is also the author of two spy novels. Claire, welcome to The Definitive Rap. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I've never been to Paris. Never? (laughs) Yeah, you know, guilty. Guilty as charged. And so very much would love to visit. Well, when you come, I'll have to show you around. Okay, I look forward to that. It looks just the way it does in television. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm certain it's better in person. Uh, first of all, please tell our audience about the publication, The Cosmopolitan Globalist. So I started The Cosmopolitan Globalist with my co-founder, Vivek Kelkar, who's in Mumbai, because I saw that there was this huge gap where foreign news coverage ought to be. And there are some important reasons why foreign news coverage has dropped off not just the front page, but the whole newspaper. It has to do with the changing technology of journalism, the changing economic incentives, but it's leaving this big hole where knowledge of the rest of the world should go. And I felt that this was, um, first, it's a terrible thing for our society to not have a sense of what's happening in the rest of the world. But I also thought it might be, there might be a commercial prospect if someone could figure out a way to bring coverage of foreign events into a single publication in a a cost-effective way, it could really work. And I thought what's going on now that's so interesting is the technological potential of Google Translate is now mature. Oh, yeah. Now possible to read every newspaper in the world, almost as if it's English. Yeah, I've even written to somebody a couple of months ago in French. I don't Mm -hmm. speak French, but with Google Translate, I think I did a pretty good job, or at least that's what I was talking about. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's really a technological miracle. It's um, something that I never thought we would see in our lifetimes or ever. I thought human language is just not amenable to mechanical translation. But what they pulled off, it's one of the great technological accomplishments of our century. And I thought this is an interesting time to be trying to pull that together with social media, 
with all of my contacts, because I've been, I've been a journalist, a foreign correspondent for about 30 years, and I have contacts in every continent, except really not so good in, in Latin America. We're working on that. I thought we can pull this together to do something on a different model from, say, the New York Times or CNN, mm-hmm. um, which might be able to achieve that, that elusive thing, cost effectiveness, and might be able to create a product that fills the void left by the collapse of foreign correspondence. Wow. So you can find me on Substack. And you can also find me by Googling cosmopolitan globalist. I certainly found you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things, one of the many things that attracted me to your publication is that, like I said earlier, we sugarcoat nothing and we Mm -hmm. tell it like it is. I feel that when it comes to war, there are publications that will report a vague account, leaving out various atrocities. Let's talk about the total hell, uh, as one witness described, and that many others are reliving. What are the civilians really experiencing in Ukraine? It's unbearable. I mean, did you did you imagine we were seeing a classic land war and genocide in the heart of Europe again in our lifetimes? It's it's mind boggling. I mean, that that's something that my parents experienced having gone yes. through the Holocaust. It, it it's it is mind boggling, and it's uh, blood curdling. It's what our parents and our grandparents experienced. And what I think I can tell your accent says you're American. I think those of us who grew up in America really thought that's history. That can never happen again. But it is happening again. Um, The Russian program is explicitly genocidal. They really want Ukraine to no longer exist as a nation. They don't care how many Ukrainians they have to kill to accomplish that. Uh, And in addition to being explicitly genocidal, it's a totally undisciplined army. That, that doesn't seem to have any internal cohesion or, or even a sense of, well, I guess an old-fashioned way, a sense of honor. That you can't just rape and steal everything you come across. And um, what Ukrainians are experiencing is unbearable. It's unbearable. Um, it, it's, Can you talk it's a little un- bit about that? So for our audience who has no knowledge and is just focusing on the vague accounts, I mean, this is important. The world needs to know. Well, I think have you, have, your audience has probably heard reports from Bucha, the suburb of Kiev, where, where they're still finding mass graves. Yes. Um, what they might not realize is there are 70 more cities like this, where the, the level of atrocity is every bit as great. And um, every day they're finding new mass graves, mass graves with hundreds of bodies in them. Um, and these are the kinds, and they're also, there's also growing evidence that uh, the Russians are stealing the grain now, not just growing evidence, it's a fact that they're right. still in the game, which is incredibly painful because it's so rem- reminiscent of Stalin's Holodomor, the deliberate starvation of the Ukrainian people, which killed as many as 4 million people. Um, so it's clear that you have some of the, these atrocities are reminiscent of both Stalin's and Hitler's, both of which were concentrated in the very same place in Ukraine. And the, the Many people don't realize that the Holocaust took place in Ukraine more than it did in Germany. Um, And and, um, I find it so shocking, so existentially shocking that this could be happening, that um, I don't know what to conclude from it. Are Are we destined to do this every century? It's, it's, It's very painful. Yes. Who 
Putin seems to be in this for the long haul, and he seems to be willing to endure many challenges. There are food shortages, inflation, and energy prices getting worse and worse by the day. How has Europe, particularly France, been affected by the war? Well, first, for your first point that Putin's in it for the long haul, I think that he is, as you say, in it for the long haul and counting on the rest of the world being uh, on the unity that has been shown by at least by Europe and the United States and Canada to be fractured by the pain that he can inflict uh, by the inflation, by the high price of energy, by the high price of finance, and of course, by the high price of food. And he's he's counting on our interest waning and our impatience with any kind of privation um, outweighing our sense of responsibility toward the Ukrainians. Um, and I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that we can keep in mind why, why it's important to end this war and to end it decisively with the Ukrainian victory. Um, how has France been affected? I think in the same way the United States has been affected with um, rising prices, especially rising gas prices, um, rising food prices, it's 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 there. It, the Ukrainian war is not the only reason for that. We're coming off of a pandemic, too. Right, so there's, true. you know, there's there's a, a the supply chain problems that we saw during the pandemic have been exacerbated by the need to reroute supri- supplies around Ukraine and Russia. Um on a day-to-day level, I don't think many people are personally affected by it, except unless they have relatives in Ukraine or um, or if they're like me, they they read the news a lot. So I don't think I don't. It's not like Poland where you've got this massive influx of refugees. Although there are quite a few refugees in France, and they're being educated in French schools, and the French have been very welcoming toward them. So where but are I, they go? Where, what part of France are they? Um, are these refugees? They've gone all over. You know, they'll go. They've gone anywhere. Someone will take them in. Um, I have a, a Ukrainian friend who, who managed to get his nieces, his little nieces, out of Ukraine, and they're staying with a friend of his on a very beautiful avenue in the heart of Paris, eating croissants in the morning. And um, or they were. I think they've moved on somewhere else. But uh, you know, it's a number of croissants. <laughs> right. So some some refugees have found a very warm welcome, and others are still trying to find a place to stay and staying in hostels. Right. Um, Europe has welcomed the refugees from Ukraine in a way they never welcomed the refugees from Syria. That's not totally fair. Some Europeans welcomed refugees from Syria with with um, with open arms, but um, it has been less hard for re- Ukrainian refugees to find places to stay and right. and social support. Um, but I, I also wonder how long will people's patience with this last at some point will people say we're sick of these refugees right right and there's also a a massive russian propaganda effort to portray the refugees as thieves and and pickpockets and spongers and not real refugees and just as there was with the refugees from syria this is what you're seeing in france yeah 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 why do you think that is why are the russians trying to depict it that way no no well the russians living in france i mean they're french they're I don't the, know the con- the their country is welcoming the Ukrainians. I don't think that Russians in living in France are the ones who are producing this propaganda. I think it's coming from Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Claire, what is your opinion about uh, Russia launching nuclear forces? Well, I'm not privy to any kind of information that 
you wouldn't have seen anywhere else. Um, I think the logic of mutual assured destruction still holds. It's not in any way rational for Russia to use strategic nuclear weapons. Might they use a tactical nuclear weapon? I don't know. Um, their their military doctrine says that in, if if they're facing a massive defeat or an existential threat, they will. The, the theory says escalate, de-escalate. That the the shock of detonating a nuclear weapon would be so great that they believe that their opponents would back down. I don't think they're right. Um, I think if they used a nuclear weapon, they that we'd wipe. I don't know what we would do, but we it would, the consequences would be cataclysmic. Um, and I hope they understand that. I hope that through back channels we've conveyed that they would be very, very mistaken to think that it would work that way, that we would simply back down. It's, it's too horrible to think about almost, but I mean, obviously we need to think about it. Right. right. Do you have any correspondence uh, from your publication in, in Ukraine? Yes, yes, we have Vladislav Davidson, who is Ukrainian, who's been reporting from there, and Olga Tokaryuk has reported from there for us. Um, and I'm in touch with a lot of Ukrainians, in fact. Um, and that's another another way that correspondence, foreign correspondence has changed because of social media. It's so easy to oh, find yeah. them, speak to them. Right. So what are they reporting to you um, on a day-to-day basis? I mean, walk us through what, what they're reporting what the, a couple of themes are consistent. The first is tremendously high morale. No one is unsure why they're fighting this war. No one is saying, "Oh, let's just surrender." They, they, there is a consistent belief that if they don't win this war, they will be wiped out as a people. They must win this war. That they're protecting their own families. They're protecting women from being raped, children from being killed. I mean, children have been killed in horrifying numbers, um, and. Um, incredible horror at, at, at what they're seeing uh, that the the and grief grief which i'm sure people aren't even beginning to process yet right. i mean it, it's well the, the rest uh, of the world doesn't realize people go on about their lives and you know i i find it fascinating because um you know during world war ii we can say well people weren't exposed not everyone had television certainly no social media but you would think that today people would know more. I, I mean, I speak to people all the time, intelligent people, and they're not aware really? of the atrocities going on on a daily basis. Yeah, there's a war, but they just don't get it. Where are these people you're speaking to? Are they mostly in... They're Americans. And in, in what kind of professions are they in? What is it? In what... All kinds, all professions. So All professions. They just, they just know what's reported and they don't understand the atrocities they don't understand what's happening behind the scenes that is not being reported they don't understand things like soldiers shooting both of a woman's sons in front of her yeah yeah Um, they just don't they just don't it's not reported everywhere if i can if i can tell them in just a sentence it would be that these are atrocities worthy of the second world war these are these are some of the worst atrocities we've seen since the end of the Second World War, um, and that this is a fu- this is very much a fight that um, that has to be won because if it isn't, this will spread. And this, this is the oh, whole. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what people don't realize, and I wish they would. Very much like Hitler moving into Poland. Um, 
and we're involved whether people are paying attention or not. Yeah. As we should be. And I'm proud of that. What about uh, Russians being tried for war crimes? We know that um, there was individual criminal responsibility for actions by the fighters that included and including intentionally killing civilians and sexual violence. And I have no doubt that with time, as much as we do know, um, there will be a lot more that will come to surface. Yeah. Just by witness accounts. Yeah. What do you think will happen? Will they be tried for war crimes? Well, prosecutors um, are carefully collecting evidence, people who really understand how to prosecute a war crime, prosecutors from The Hague, prosecutors within Ukraine. And they are able to figure out to a very high degree of precision who is committing these crimes because the Russians are speaking on unsecured phones. They, They are able to geolocate many of them, and they're able to put together really comprehensive cases. So anyone they catch in Russia, they'll be able to, in Ukraine, they'll be able to prosecute. Whether once, whether if they they manage to go back to Russia, they can be prosecuted is, well, it depends whether they ever leave Russia again. Um, But they're not going to be able to leave Russia again unless they be prosecuted. Now, of course, at the top of it, is Putin and um, whether we'll be able to prosecute him for war crimes really depends whether he dies in office or ever leaves Russia or or whether there's an internal coup and the next government turns him over. I, I suspect not. I suspect he will die before he can be prosecuted. But a lot of people lower down the chain can be prosecuted and they will be. Right. They will be. They will see justice. Yeah. Or they'll die in exile. Yeah. Um. What is life like for um, people living in Russia right now? Are they just going about their daily lives as though nothing is happening? How are they affected? Many of them seem to be. I I can't pretend to have really good insight into that. Um, But it does seem from opinion polls, and there's a limit to how useful opinion polls are when they're conducted in a country where dissent is forbidden. And it is forbidden. People are being arrested just for holding up a white piece of paper because it's, a, it's an act of protest. Um, someone stood with a copy of War and Peace in front of the Kremlin, he was immediately arrested. Anyone who expresses even the, the slightest hesitation is arrested. So this is yeah, going back being to... Accused of, being accused of being traitors, yeah. yeah. You're going back to, to certainly, this is, this is like being back under Andropov again. Um, but it does seem that Russians are mostly behind the operation, the special operations are legally required to call it. You're not allowed to call it a war in Russia. You have to call it a special military operation. Are they behind it because they don't know what's going on? Probably a lot of them. A lot of them are only hearing their own propaganda. But plenty of people are capable of using a VPN, capable of thinking a little bit, and have heard quite a bit what's, about what's going on, and they think that's good, too. I mean, I don't know whether you heard there was an incredible intercept. Ukrainian t- intelligence intercepted a conversation between a woman and her husband or her boyfriend in which he said... Tell us okay about that, I, yeah. Yeah, he said, is it okay if I rape women here? And she said, yeah, 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 that, that's just, you know, go ahead, but just, just use protection. And I, I, I... The degree of depravity is so unfathomable that I found myself denying that I'd heard what I said. I thought maybe that's just, you know, dirty talk between lovers. She cannot mean that. She cannot be saying that. No human being could say that. But she did say it. It was there on, there on the tape. And maybe there's some banal explanation. Maybe that's just their kind of kinky talk, but I don't think so. I think she was saying 
yeah, go rape for the motherland. That's just, oh. you know, have have your fun. Oh, um, it's, it's and the amount curdling. It's, it's blood curdling. It's blood curdling. Um, and you know, this is going to be Ukraine is going to be a traumatized land for generations from this. The hatred of Russia is going to be already. It's a tr- the blood had barely died from the barely seeped into the cracks from the last no. last war, and just you know, beginning to have generations that weren't marked by this. But we we know because you said your parents were survivors and, and my grandparents were, we know how this, how this trauma is passed on for generations. Oh, uh, and that's going to be the case here too. And even if, if there were peace declared today, coming to terms with something like this, isn't something any one human being can do in a lifetime. It's, it's, it's as clear a case of evil, of the absolute intractability of evil as, as I've seen um, or studied just no reason for it. None. Claire, as you know, politics are very interesting. In the United States, there are people who feel that Putin is right. And of course, there are those who feel that Zelensky is right. Well, what's what's what going on in Europe? And especially, <laughs> well, what's going on in Europe and especially France with regard to the general consensus about the war? Um, I think in the U.S. there are a number of people who don't really know very much about it, but who take the position that Putin is right because they are just by nature contrarians who like to say the opposite of whatever anyone else is saying. (laughs) I don't believe there's such a thing as an American who would understand this situation and say Putin is right, or at least I I, I don't. I want to think that the number of people who are there are people who are you know against uh, Ukrainians because of you know what their ancestors have experienced uh, during the Holocaust. you know, yeah. so we have that, and you know, there, there, there are other, there are other things as well, um, which we don't have the time to go into. But, um, but what's the general consensus well, um, with regard to the French? The How do French, they feel about it? Are, are in an interesting position. I wrote a long article about this, which people can read on my Substack um, if they go back to about two, three weeks about the French relationship with Russia, which has historically been. Um, the French have always tried to forge a relationship with Russia from, from the alliance in the Great War, First World War, yeah. through the Cold War with Charles de Gaulle, trying to, although he was aware that the Soviet Union was a totalitarian state, he, he felt that ultimately the Russian people and the French people had important cultural connections, which they did. I mean, they, in, the, in the 19th century, there was tremendous cultural interchange, and French was the language of the Russian elite. So. Um, Every candidate in the recent French presidential election was more eager to forge a relationship with Putin than I was happy seeing. Um, with Marine Le Pen actively, this is this is the um, far right candidate who who ran against Emmanuel Macron, who won. Uh, Marine Le Pen was actively on Putin's payroll. Um, when Putin invaded Ukraine, she managed to say, well, that's very bad. But she still said that she wanted to have uh, a relationship, France to have an, a, an alliance with Russia as soon as it was possible and to withdraw from NATO at the height of a conflict like this, which I right. find, which I find utterly unacceptable. Um, fortunately, she didn't win, but that is a big current of French, French thought. And a lot of people, as, as in the United States, aren't following closely enough to be aware of the, the, 
the profundity of the horror and are swayed by some, you know, what I think are pretty stupid arguments about um, the importance of trying to force a compromise on, U- on Ukraine as quickly as possible. I think these are bad arguments, um, but that's what the argument would usually be. The argument would be, well, we must somehow force Ukraine to accept a territorial compromise to bring an end to the war, and we can't humiliate Putin because then we'll have something, a situation like after the First World War with the Treaty of Versailles. Um, and for, for readers who don't really remember that history very well, Versailles was an extremely punitive treaty levied on Germany at the end of the First World War, which some historians, not not correctly in my view, but that's a little complicated question, believe was responsible for the rise of the Nazis because of the humiliation that was inflicted on, on Germany. Um, so people are, are aware of that and they're thinking about that and they're already thinking ahead to, well, we can't humiliate Russia because then we'll end up with a worse revanchist Russia. I don't think these are good arguments, but those are the arguments you might hear. Mm-hmm. Claire, um, what will victory look like in Ukraine, in your opinion? It'll look like no Russians on Ukrainian territory. That's a pretty easy one. No Russians on Ukrainian territory unless they come there with a visa. <laughs> what and- will it take to um, put the country back together? It's going to take a lot. Um, It's going to need a massive reconstruction program. The only thing I can say about that is if Ukrainians work to rebuild their country with the same passion, dedication, unity, and intelligence that they've worked to repel the Russian invasion, that country is going to be that country is going to be a paradise. It's going to be the Garden of Eden because they have. It's, it's uh, kind of an irony that war brings out these extraordinary qualities of cooperation and, and unity and perseverance. And then oftentimes in peace, people, <laughs> people revert to a, a fairly petty politics of corruption and, and indolence. Uh, if only they can, they can manage to keep this unity. Um, yeah. And I think that any money that's spent on reconstruction will be extremely well spent. Um, and Ukrainians are admirable people. I think everyone who's watched this senses that. This is, these are people who have um, who've behaved with bravery and nobility in the face of an unspeakable, unspeakable affront, an unspeakable crime. Uh, I, I don't say that every single Ukrainian is, is a superior person, but we've certainly seen a lot of what's noble about the human race as well. How can people, so we're out of time, so um, I, you know, this has been amazing, and um, I want our audience very much to um, obtain the Cosmopolitan Globalist. Um, How can people subscribe? They can just go to either our website, cosmopolitanglobalist.com, just one word, cosmopolitanglobalist.com, or they can look me up on Substack, Claire Berlinski. That's B-E-R-L-I-N-S-K-I. That's like the city Berlin in the sports ski. That if you think about the last one, that'll keep you from going down the bad path of the Claire Berlinski spelled with a Y at the end. Don't go that way. <laughs> and, they'll, and if you Google me, you'll find me very easily and at Substack. And yeah. how often do you publish? Oh, every day. Every, every day. Well, almost Wonderful. every day. We take okay. it. We, we, we sometimes take a day off, but okay. Yeah. Well, we're all entitled to that. <laughs> and um, if people want to know more about Ukraine, um, there are so many writers, 
bloggers, people on Twitter who are Ukrainian and thus much better qualified to speak about this than I am. And anyone who's on Twitter can start, I would start with uh, the Kiev Post and the Kiev Independent, really good sources of news about Ukraine. And we try to provide a regular update about events in Ukraine every day or every other day, a summary from what's reported in the Ukrainian language press and the Russian language press throughout Europe. Yeah. So we'll keep you, we'll keep you up to date. Great, great. Claire, thank you for joining us and sharing your broad, honest views with us. And in all seriousness, I must get to Paris one day. You must, and I, I will show you around. You, you okay, really I'm going to hold you to that. Before you shuffle off this mortal population visit Paris, everyone should once. Thank you to Vin News and to our audience for tuning in. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.